Hi everyone and welcome back to another Parliamental. Anne, how are you? I'm really, really good. How are you, Jerry? I'm great. Really, really good. So you're really full of energy this morning? I am. I don't know why, but <laughs> I am. Brilliant. Well, I think one of the first things we should talk about is an ongoing matter of business that we talk about here, which is darts. I'd like to start with some darts news. Oh. So um, last time we were here, you did darts table. A darts board, sorry, on the table. <laughs> you had a darts table on the board. You had a darts board on the table and you had a lot of darts coming up. So tell me about your darts career over these past few weeks. So I got to the final four. Uh, nice. in the MP darts tournament, although I wouldn't want to mislead you. I wouldn't want people to think that every MP was entered in it. There was only 22 to start with. But got to the final four, I was the final woman. As you will see, the dartboard is now up on the wall because the tough-looking joiner I mentioned in the last <laughs> podcast finally turned up mm. and um, put it up on the wall and christened the dartboard. Anyway, uh, thank you, Alan. Uh, but then I didn't get time to practice. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> I had to play my next round and... Um, I think I made a crucial error because I was invited to go and play in uh, Nigel Adams' room, um, which gives him a bit of an advantage, yeah, it's home doesn't tough, it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, I beat him in the first leg, yes. and he said nobody's ever done that in this tournament. <laughs> uh, so that was good. And the second one, ugh, it was just who got the double at the end, basically. And same with the third one. And, and sadly for me, it was him. But, you know, psychologically... The idea of having to go down there on the 22nd of December to play at the Alley Pally whilst appealing was sort of, oh, do I really, we're off for Christmas then, I'll be getting ready for Christmas, do I really want to go down to London that day? And um, so I think psychologically I, I threw the game. Yeah, so he just didn't want to. <laughs> he would, didn't beat me. It would, it would have been cool though, wouldn't it, to be in the final of a darts tournament? I'll do it next year though. Yeah, with like a pristine darts board that you've never touched. <laughs> yeah. So any future darts tournaments coming up? Are you going to enter again next year, do you think? I'm definitely going to enter again next year. Um, and I'm also going to look at organising a countdown tournament because I'm getting really, really good at countdown. You know, I said last time that I downloaded it onto my iPad mm -hmm. and I sit on the train and I yell at the other contestant if they beat me. <laughs> yeah, we downloaded it. It looks good. <laughs> oh, it looks, did you? Yeah, yeah. I've not played it personally, but we downloaded it. It looks, oh, pretty, it's looks pretty brilliant. fun. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Do -do -do -do. Do, 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 do. So I might organise one of them because I've got all the time in the world to do these things. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you get your Christmas. You start thinking, oh, we'll have all this relaxing fun. And then like come February, you're like, oh, God, oh, God. I know. So, <laughs> um, uh, but, so but talking about what you did in Westminster recently, you were in the debate on the sanctions regime. So Mary yes. Black, I think, called the debate. Is that right? So Mary Black, uh, her name was picked out of a... Um, hat if you like to have a private members bill so for the last several months she's been working on that private members bill and it was a bill uh, now we could have had a bill to end the uh, sanctions regime but it was never going to they were never going to go for that so she very sensibly um, had a bill on a code of conduct so that consistency is applied and that it basically it meant things like um, if you are considering giving someone a sanction you need to take into account their caring responsibilities now that would have helped my constituent who was told to come to an interview at the job centre at three o'clock on a particular day and that's the time she picks up her child from school and she was told well that's just tough you either come or we're going to sanction you. They wouldn't be able to do that if Mary's bill got through because they'd have to take into account caring responsibilities. Uh, your housing situation, a lot of homeless people are um, sanctioned. Um, and I can't remember what the other one was, but basically it's a code of conduct uh, that would make the sanctions regime, if it has to exist, and I don't argue that it has to exist, but the Tories obviously do, it would make it 
um, a bit more consistent and um, it would make it more difficult to impose sanctions for erroneous reasons, which has been happening. Because um, you spoke for quite a long time, it was like half an hour or so, and you took a few interventions. So I think we should listen to a little clip, first of all. And it was um, it got a bit tetchy towards the end. People it, were starting to get a bit, mm, a bit antsy. A wee bit. A wee bit. So we've got a wee <laughs> clip of um, towards the end of your speech when a, a, a Conservative member of parliament intervened and things went a bit awry. If this doesn't work today, and I, I'm guessing we're not going to get this through today. It is, it is. Yeah, then, then you go again, then you go again. They go, the Madam Deputy Speaker telling me that I don't have the right to speak. I'm sick of hearing that in this House. It is, it is important that what we're saying to people here is that... Oh, order, 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 order. Point of order, Victoria. I'm grateful. I'm, I, I'm, I'm making this point of order because I know that passions are running high in the Chamber. But I, I do please ask the Honourable Member opposite to actually reflect what members across the chamber are saying. No order, order, order. Anne McLaughlin. If I must, Madam Deputy Speaker. Uh, you don't have to use the words benefit scrounger to imply that somebody is a benefit scrounger. You just have to um, apply vicious sanctions on them because they were five minutes late for an appointment or because they attended hospital with their wife when she was giving birth. And I'm just going to end by sharing a story of two of my constituents who I met during the election campaign a year and a half ago. I met them, bumped into them in the street with their beautiful two-year-old daughter. Um, and they told me that the day that she was born, he went with his wife as she gave birth. Now, does anybody here think there's anything wrong with that? Does anybody think that the right decision would have been to say, sorry, I'm away to sign on? He forgot all about it in the euphoria and the, well, euphoria for him, maybe not for her, but he forgot all about it and he was at his wife's side as she gave birth. The following day he went in, euphoric, I've had a baby, really happy, apologising, and they sanctioned that young couple, let's just say they sanctioned that tiny little baby, her birthday gift, her first ever birthday gift was a six week sanction. Not even a milk token. Not a single milk token or a single pound to support that family. Now, I feel my language has been as tempered as I will get on this. Because see when you hear stories like that, and that is not an isolated case. I've heard so many, as I've said before, when you hear stories like that, it's very difficult to retain a calm demeanour. Um, and my priority is to support my constituents and to stop them. And the member opposite is looking at me like, well, I would never have done that to them. But she supports a regime that allows it to happen. And that's the important point. So you could hear there at the end of that, um, you made the point and that you don't have to actually use the word benefit scrounger to treat someone like a benefit mm -hmm. scrounger. And that point you made sort of before the clip where you're talking about... Um, you know, interfering with people's lives and basically people being sanctioned as if they're up to no good, as if they're yeah. kind of lazy layabouts when mm -hmm. actually they've got responsibilities. Yeah. People have got lives and, mm. you know, they, they would comply if they could, mm. but they, it's not made easy for them. Yeah, and and I mean, it was a silly thing. Um, she raised, the, the member raised a point of order against me. Um, I've never heard of anyone doing that, a point of order on the basis that she didn't like what I was saying about the Tories. Um, well, you know, she could do that in every speech I make because she's not going to like what I've got to say because I don't like what they do. Uh, but yeah, all she, she was saying, oh, we, we did not say that people are scroungers or they're lazy or, or they're work shy. And as you say, the point I was making was you don't have to use those words 
to be implying that. And the very fact that these sanctions are applied against somebody if, for instance, they miss an interview. Like, for instance, I had a constituent who missed an interview because um, his wife went into labour and he went in the next day um, and they sanctioned them for six weeks. That baby was born into six weeks of the first week of that child's life. Not a penny went into that household and not, not even a milk token, you know. So um, the only reason for doing that, and their whole argument was, but, you know, there's got to be a two-way thing. People have got to comply if they want to. And what they were saying, without saying the words, is if you follow through on the logic of what they were saying, they were saying people need somebody to crack the whip over them. And if they don't turn up for an appointment, or if they turn up late, or if they don't apply for that job that you recommended, or whatever, then they don't want to work, and they are lazy, and they are simply scroungers, and we can't have people doing that. That is what they were implying. And just because they didn't use those words, but it was mad, you know, raising a point of order and the deputy speaker it didn't say you're mad, but she did say wished. Wished. And not to get too deep on it, um, the, there's parallels in there to racism and structural racism, sort of mm -hmm. overt racism. People can hide behind it and, yeah. and say, I don't use racist words. Mm -hmm. I'm not racist. But actually, if you're, all your actions sort of disproportionately affect a group, then exactly. you're racist and it's yeah. and just because you don't call people benefit scroungers doesn't give you cover because if all your yeah. actions then treat people like them, yeah. then there's no that's actually worse you're better off yeah. using the word at least then because people can see what you're up to because it's Ab more visible absolutely and the thing is i mean i was saying to her you know she was looking at me towards the end i think she gave up because she kind of intervened on me a few times and she was just kind of looking at me and i was talking and i ended the speech i was talking about the couple i've just mentioned who were sanctioned for six weeks when the baby was born and she sort of shook her head and I said, well, you know, she's looking at me as if to say, but I, would, I wouldn't I would agree with that. They, they, whenever you give examples, they always will dismiss it as a one-off or something that's gone wrong with the system. But they're not, they're not one-offs and, or ones-off, how do you say that? Anyway, it wasn't a one-off. I've heard this over and over and over again. And whilst she personally is an MP and the other MPs who were there that day, whilst they personally might not say to somebody in those circumstances, you're getting nothing for the next six weeks, they are propping up the government that is allowing that system to persist. So um, they need to take responsibility for it. You also threw wished in there. <laughs> so there was a bit of a minor kerfuffle online about etymology of wished and all that. So how does wished feature in that debate? Well, <laughs> it was quite funny. I mean, one of the the best things about the debate, I mean, it was quite, as you say, it was quite tetchy. Um, and there were an awful lot of interventions from uh, the Conservatives and some from my side as well. Uh, but the SNP group are brilliant at supporting somebody in those circumstances. So whilst I was tackling them, some of our lot were shouting things out. And I'm sure it was Patrick Grady, my constituent and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the member for Glasgow North. Um, I'm sure it was Patrick Grady that shouted out, wished. And I said, yeah, they should just wished. And um, they complained about that. And uh, so the deputy speaker, Eleanor Lang, um, although she has an English accent, she is actually originally from, I think it's Lang Bank, it's somewhere in Renfrewshire anyway, and she said, well, the lady is, the honourable lady is quite right. We don't want interventions from a sedentary position, something like mm -hmm. that. And therefore, the lady is right to tell the members to wish. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> nice. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> nice. She got a bit of kudos on uh, Twitter for that. That was pretty cool. So in terms of, I mean, I read about the debate that it kind of got talked out. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it didn't, I mean, how, what kind of outcome do you think came out of the debate or what was, at the end of the day, after it had been on for how many hours, what did you feel about the debate and kind of, did it achieve much? Did you did you feel it was thwarted? Um, I didn't. I mean, I started off my speech saying that I didn't even want to make the speech anymore because I felt so depressed and so, I felt like I was banging my head off a brick wall. In fact, I think at one point I was saying that I'd be better off banging my head off a brick wall than making that speech because it wasn't going to make any difference. And I find that really frustrating. I find it really, really frustrating. It, it drives me to distraction, but I'm aware that the frustration I feel is nothing compared to the frustration of the people that are having to live within the systems that they impose on people. So um, I thought it had achieved nothing but highlighted the issue. But in fact, I was reminded again, I, I mean, I, I had hundreds of tweets about it. I mean literally hundreds i can't keep up with them all and i would quite like to see if anybody listening tweeted me i'm going to try and respond to everybody uh, but i was so grateful for the tweets because it made me feel a lot better first of all they were all very complimentary and i appreciated that and you do need to hear that you're doing all right in your job from time to time right you don't need your ego massaged but you do need to know that you're doing an okay job but secondly a lot of people were saying things to myself to mary black to chris law who also spoke and to the whole smp group they were saying you know it's so good to have you there fighting for us thank you very much for you know saying this and saying that and you know it's great to know somebody understands so from that perspective what it did was it let people know that we do care, but it also let people know, because I mentioned that I've been there, I've been unemployed for quite a long time, I've been unable to um, progress with a job application, I'm just shorthanding this, but listen to the speech if you want to know more about it, but I was unable to progress with a a job application because the job centre told me they would sanction my benefits if if I went to something that was on the day I was supposed to be signing on. They lost me a huge opportunity because of the threat of sanctions. So the fact that I can say that I understand because I've been there and the fact that they can see that we're all there getting really really angry on their behalf because it wasn't just those of us that spoke mike weir as well who's our chief whip he spoke with such passion i was i was nearly in tears i thought i'm so glad i'm watching him he's been there a long time right i'm watching him and he's such a mild-mannered man but watching him making that speech and seeing how absolutely angry he got and seeing his grasp of the issues made me feel oh i'm so glad there's somebody that really gets it somebody else that really gets it so i know that people watching and i know from the tweets that it really made a difference to them so it doesn't um it, it does matter that you didn't actually it, it's not going to happen they're not going to take it on right i mean there is another stage it goes through but it's not going to happen that matters What also matters is that people see that we care and understand and some of us have been there and know how they feel and that we're as angry as they are at the whole system and that seems to make a huge difference to people. And you spoke in a debate about refugee family reunions in Mm. Westminster Hall. So um, what was was the debate about and what was your kind of intervention? So there have been a number of debates in Westminster Hall about uh, the reunion of families and basically the... What I was taking issue with is, now, if you manage to gain refugee status here, if you manage to come to this country and gain refugee status, you can apply for your family to be brought over. So you can apply for your kids to be brought over, because quite often 
they families can't come over. It's maybe quite often, you know, when you hear people complaining about, oh, look, it's all sing, it's all young men, it's all men in Cali, it's all men on these boats, not all, but primarily it is. Well, there's a good reason for that. What they're doing is they're, they're the ones that are going to take the risk in the hope that whichever country they end up in, they can send for their family. Um, so you can do that in the UK. Um, there's a route to do it. And that's good. Uh, then your family don't have to make that perilous journey. But if you make your way here as a child, an unaccompanied child, um, you can't send for your parents. Well. Uh, I know. And also, if uh, somebody makes their way here and they've got grandchildren or they've got nieces and nephews who have no parents left in the country you've come from. So say uh, a granny comes, manages to get away and comes here and um, her grandchildren, her children are dead and her grandchildren are in a refugee camp somewhere, Afghanistan, Syria, whatever. She can't send for them because she is not classed as family. That doesn't count under family reunion, even though they've got nobody. And it's ridiculous, right? Because in this country, we recognise uh, siblings, grandparents, aunts and uncles as family when it comes to our own children. You know, put them into care, allow kinship care. And kinship care is the preferable thing. That's not the same. It doesn't happen with refugee children. But the worst bit is unaccompanied asylum seekers coming to this country cannot, there is no route for them to send for the parents. And do you know why? Because the Home Office say, the British government says, if you did that, all these parents would all just send their kids to make those perilous journeys in so that they could screw the system, basically. What a lot of rubbish. It's not like they get in a train and then get off the train and they're here. Like, it's a horrific journey across, you know, land, hiding things and travelling mm. across things. And ha it's not just like you can stick them on a bus and it's fine and we'll, we'll send for us when you get there. And you would, you would have to be utterly mm. at the end of your tether and desperate and in fear of your child's life to uh, send them on a journey like that. And... You know, um, I made the point that, you know, there was a case of a couple whose three-year-old son was um, killed in front of them, then eaten in front of them. I think that was in Yemen. I might have that wrong, but that's what, I think that's where it was. But in the DRC, you regularly hear about parents being made to watch as their children are raped. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I don't know if you were in that situation and your child was facing that possibility, in some places probability, would you send them on one of those journeys? Would you take that chance? I think it'd be better to, you know, I, I understand why people might make that choice. Um, but it is a last resort and I think it's just a nonsense. Also, there is no evidence. Every country in the EU, apart from us, and I think it's Denmark, every country in the EU allows unaccompanied children to send for their parents. There's a route to do that. And there is absolutely no evidence, and the minister in the debate couldn't give us any evidence, that um, those uh, kids will, uh, that they abuse the system, that it leads to a huge increase in people doing that. doesn't. And if um, if we understand that kids who've, who've got people to look after them and have got family relationships end up as, as more rounded human beings and, and, and as just people with fewer problems, then... Are we mm -hmm. not just mortgaging off our future? If, mm. we, if, we're, if we say that we can have kids who've got a bad start in life and we continue to give them a bad start in life, mm. are we not just giving ourselves problems? If you exactly. want to be really selfish about it, yeah. like, is it not is it not adv advantageous to have people growing up in more stable environments? Aye, 
And and the thing is, I always make this point that I think the Tories know the cost of everything and the value of absolutely nothing. And yet, it's not cost effective to do it the way they're doing it. Because as you say, you know, kids in care have, you know, a worse start in life. These kids have had a terrible start in life. They've got a much worse start in life. But kids in care who are born and grow up in this country have fewer uh, life chances, you know, they'll die younger, they're more likely to get involved in crime, they're more likely to be homeless, they're more likely to have health problems, they have fewer educational attainments, for obvious reasons. So that costs the state even more further down the line. So why, you know, if the Tories only care about money, and they only care about money as far as I can see, why do they not just do the more cost-effective thing and let the parents come over and look after their children? Simple. Now, and I spotted you doing some selfies, for want of a better <laughs> word, um, in some shady back room in Westminster. So it's you, it's you standing, <coughs> talk to the camera, um, and you've been asking questions to the Prime Minister. So yes. do you want to give us a wee bit of background what it is you're doing and, and, and yeah, why are you doing this, basically? What's going on? Well, um, I'm going to start doing this regularly because it happens to me regularly and I'm doing hashtag bobbing. <laughs> um, bobbing in Parliament is when your name's not on the order paper, you've not been selected to ask a question, but you may still get in and ask a question if you bob up and down. So every time somebody gets up to ask their question, you bob up and catch the speaker's eye. Sit down again. Then when whoever the minister is, in this case it was the Prime Minister, when they stand up to answer the question, you bob up, catch the speaker's eye, sit down. Lots of us do it. And I regularly bob up and down, up and down, and I don't get asked. So, But I quite often get good, good questions or I wouldn't be bobbing up and down. I don't just do it because it's great stomach exercises, although it is. <laughs> it's great for the core. <laughs> <laughs> it's practically the only exercise I get these days so uh, my mum said even if I don't have a question I have to do it for the exercise so <laughs> I'll do that mum um, so basically um, I had a question uh, I've got a question that doesn't get asked and I've been meaning to do this for ages but I don't have any staff down there and then I just thought oh hang on I'll just do a selfie video so I filmed myself asking the question I wanted to ask to Theresa May and I tweeted it and I copied her in. I've not heard anything back yet, but I'm sure. And I think I said in one of the tweets, I'm quite happy if she sends me back a video message. Still waiting. Teresa. That would be amazing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I was in, I went to Downing Street this week to help Ooh. campaigners from Yarlswood mm -hmm. Detention Centre mm -hmm. deliver a petition. And uh, I've never been to Downing Street before. I had to put out a tweet saying I was on my way to Downing Street, hashtag tea with Teresa. I was just kidding, but I think some people thought I was being serious. Uh, but yeah, I was going to say as we handed in the petition, um, one more thing. I sent a wee video question to the Prime Minister and I've not heard anything yet. Can you let me know when I might? Just chasing up your tweet. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to do that every time. Um, I'm going to do it every time because, I mean, it takes me like 30 seconds to film it. And especially if, like you're saying, if you've got a good question and you've spent time thinking about it and you're, Aye. what's the extra time just to get it out and mm. let people know that you're going to ask and you might get an answer. And you know what, Jerry? It's going back to what I was just saying about sometimes you can't, you, you can't affect change, but... People need to know that you care enough to ask the questions or to make the points. So actually, there's another good reason for doing it. And that's just so my constituents know that, that I'm asking the questions that matter to them. And I'm trying, even if the speaker doesn't always let me. So yeah, I look forward to seeing more questions. More, are you going to go? Are you going to change it to Dukin? I feel like Bobbin's a bit Anglified. Maybe do, you want, do you want me to Dukin? Dukin? No, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Now Dukin, about you go down the way. I know, but that's Bobbin. Like Bobbin for apples. Dukin for questions. Oh, but you're Bobbin up and down. But that, but that idea, but that scratch that. Hashtag Bobbin. Hashtag Bobbin. <laughs>
And also, since we're talking about Westminster, I saw some saltires on Twitter around the door and a lot of people oh. working away in a tiny wee room. So, wait, what, what happened? What was going on? Oh, well, on St Andrew's Day, that was lovely. Uh, the researchers and the press team um, work in a building called Norman Shaw House. And when they, and they work in big open plan offices. And when they got to work on St Andrew's Day, some of the house staff had decorated the outside with salt tires, salt nice. tire bunting, and then inside the office as well. I mean, that is just lovely, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, that's so great. They were, they were really, really chuffed. Um, the staff down there are brilliant. They're so good to us. Um, and we actually, we had a, a, a St Andrew's Day reception in Westminster. Angus Robertson had organised it. And we had a number of European ambassadors. We had a number of people from organisations like John Wilkes from the Scottish Refugee Council was there. People from the White Ribbon Campaign. So basically campaigns that we work with um, and ambassadors invited them along they all got a goodie bag with some nice scottish produce in it um uh, but the best bit for me uh, and it was a great event um the best bit for me was seeing uh, loads of the house of Commons staff primarily the doorkeepers there in their jeans and jumpers <laughs> out of their fancy yeah. mm -hmm. uniforms um their, their tails what are they called not tuxedos, is it full tails and Aye. with the white ties and all that? I mean, it's the full, it's the full, but no, mm -hmm. it's... Um, you always notice that whenever there's like a dress down day, people always go the opposite. So people have to wear a uniform, it's like super casual, super, <laughs> super fancy. And since their uniform's super fancy, like jeans and t-shirt then, is that a bit yeah. more relaxed? Well, jumper, because it was freezing down there last week. But um, yeah, so loads of the doorkeepers came in. It was quite funny because one of them... Uh, I, I I was looking at I was looking at her and I was thinking I know her really well who is she, and um, but I just didn't recognise her because she wasn't in yeah. mm -hmm. the tuxedo, um, but they were saying to me that they've never been invited. None of the other groups have ever invited them to any of their events, so it was lovely though. It was really nice just to see some of the doorkeepers chatting with ambassadors and getting to know other folk from different organisations. It was a lovely event. But uh, you know, some of them were saying to me, "We don't, we don't want you lot to leave." I'm like, oh, "I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but we're going." So that's we want to leave. That's yeah. the plan. <laughs> but that's a shame. Like you, you said before, mm -hmm. that um, the people that work in Westminster, the kind of non MPs and stuff, are, aren't treated the best. They're kind of ignored. So it just shows. Like it's. I mean, we've always had Scottish MPs. You know, know. like it's not. I so know. this is. So it's really strange that it's only now. Yeah. What's different about this group? I, can't think. I know. And I think, I think, um, I mean, I think, I don't know how people started off when they first got elected, the previous ones. And, and I mean, they won't all have been uh, rude and standoffish, mm -hmm. just some of them. Um, but it's just the kind of, the kind of whole attitude as a whole. And um, yeah, I hear it time and time again that, that our group, you know, every single one of us is just, we just act like normal people and long may that continue. Yes, or until... Something else happens. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to change what we do. Um, but also you had, um, uh, you chaired a meeting with Ivan McKee about Lightburn Hospital recently. So uh -huh. that's um, just a local hospital that's, there seems to be a lot of noise about it, closing, not closing, mm. whatever. So you chaired that meeting and I think a lot of people turned up, didn't they? Oh, wow. It was absolutely jam-packed. Um, they, they took the room off us that we had actually booked and put us in a much smaller room so it maybe felt, you know, more <laughs> more tight. But mm. it was quite cosy. Um, so I think there were about 70 to 80 people there. Mm. But Lightburn Hospital in 2011... Um, 
the health board wanted to close it and Nicola Sturgeon was the health minister at the time and she said no they'd be, because they didn't, she said no you have to give good reason and this is the way, this is the direction we're moving in in terms of our health strategy and unless you're going to move in that direction, unless what you want to do fits in with that, blah blah blah. Um, so then uh, there was the campaign by the previous Labour MSP who said, oh, the SNP are closing Lightburn, which was ridiculous, because again, it was the health board. Well, I wrote to the health board at the time and they said they had no plans to do that, but they were reviewing the whole of Glasgow because we've got this brand spanking new hospital, which is fair enough, review everything in Glasgow. Um, and uh, so then, yeah, after uh, that reassurance, once they had reviewed, that's what they decided that they were... Um, they wanted to close Lightburn again. So uh, we've called a public meeting. Um, Ivan has done an incredible amount of work on this. We've both met with various different people seeking assurances about it. Um, and he is really taking the lead on this. He's provided a comprehensive uh, study into why it shouldn't close. And I understood all of that and I supported all of that. And then I chaired this meeting. So it was him and uh, Jerry from the Parkinson's Society, who has really, he's really led on the campaign. Um, and the two of them were the speakers and I was chairing it. And I came away from that meeting and, you know, all we hear about Lightburn on social media is Proven Labour Party attacking us and saying, we, I think it's Ivan that's personally closing the hospital, um, but it's all nasty stuff. And so I was expecting quite a lot of opposition. Um, but honestly, people just want to work with us to make sure that it doesn't close. But what I was saying is I understood the reasons for it not to close and supported them. Never really get it. I haven't listened to the people that use it. That's not the kind of hospital we need to be closing. That hospital means so much to people and it's not sentimental it's because of the way the staff respond to them in there because of the atmosphere in the place because of the way they look at the whole person it's a fantastic facility and there's no way in the world that the east end of glasgow can afford to lose uh, any more than it has already lost over the years so it was a great meeting and um, there were no uh, Labour MSPs or councillors, although I understand Elaine McDougall, one of the Labour councillors, turned up, stood in the corridor, listened for a while and then left. And that may be because nobody was shouting at us and she was only interested because any other Lightburn Hospital meeting, her and Frank Doherty have apparently turned up and just started shouting the odds. Um, so, you know, maybe the atmosphere didn't suit her because the atmosphere was one that said, we, the patients, the residents and the family of the patients and the staff of the hospital will work together with you guys to do whatever we can to save our hospital. That's what it was about. It was about actually getting the job done. So there was no bickering, there was no shouting and I guess that's why she left. Oh well. And you and Ivan have also been doing some work on homelessness. Mm -hmm. I know that. So what, what have you guys been doing, you know, for kind of homeless people in, in Glasgow? Well, I mean, it was brought to our attention that people are presenting to uh, homeless services in Glasgow and being told to come back the next day when they're not allowed to do that. They've got a legal duty to provide you with a roof over your head, whether that be a night in a hotel, a hostel, a bed and breakfast. Well, not a night, but they have a legal duty, OK? And people are being turned away and not being told that they've got this legal duty. So we're looking into that. 
And I don't want to say any more about it at the moment. We've met with a number of different people um, and we are just trying to formulate our views on how we can feed into what the Scottish Government's doing and what the Council's doing and work to improve the way the system works. Because it just can't be right that there are people sleeping in the street in this day and age. It's not right. Um, and it's great actually attending these meetings with Ivan because Ivan has a business background. So Ivan had a lot of manufacturing companies and he's just one of these people that's like, hey, can we just do it? Can we just get it done? Let's just do it. Never mind all this faffing about, all this red tape, let's just do it. And of course you can't always, but he's got a really good point, you know, and, and, and I'm sure most people out there think, why? Why are the homeless? There is enough housing. There is enough housing in Glasgow for people not to be homeless. What is it? And we've been learning lots about what the blockage is. So that's good. But come, we'll come back to that when we've got more substantive things to say. But one thing that was brought to our attention by Glasgow City Mission is there's a drastic shortage of sleeping bags amongst the charities in Glasgow. So I've got a crowdfunder, sorry, we, Ivan and I, have got a crowdfunder that was set up. It's going live um, sometime this week. And uh, just go into crowdfunder.co.uk and either look for my name or look rough sleepers in Glasgow or look up sleeping bags or something. I'll tweet it out and, you know, Parliamental Podcast will tweet it out. Yeah, as well. so we, we'll, we'll get behind yours and Ivan's messages mm. and also tweet it out in Parliamental as well. So yeah, yeah, just stay on the social channels and you'll find out the link to that when it comes up. Yeah, and if everybody could, I mean, even if you can't afford, so what we're looking for is £20 for a sleeping bag, right? And we're looking for £1,000 so we can get 50 sleeping bags. I'm hoping we get Get more than that but I'm just going to go for the target at the moment really hoping we get more than that but if you can afford 20 pound to buy somebody a sleeping bag please do it now it's running for a couple of weeks but we're not going to wait until what happens is you wait until the end of it then you wait a few days then they give you the money Ivan and I will make sure the money goes as soon as it's pledged it's going to go to the charities to buy the sleeping bags right and um we'll just it'll just come in later to us um but we'll we'll pay it up front um as long as we know it's coming in and we're also both donating to it obviously but if you can't afford uh, to contribute i mean even five pounds would be great but if you can't afford to contribute and i understand times are tough for a lot of people please retweet it and then retweet it and then retweet it and just keep retweeting it and share it on Facebook and encourage people. And when you're retweeting it, if you could say a few words yourself rather than just retweeting, if you could say, this is so important, if you can afford £20, you can buy somebody a sleeping bag, something like that, because that always increases the number of people that, that give to the crowdfunder. Yeah. And I suppose similar to that, you're also doing a Christmas toy drive mm -hmm. kind of this time of year, so can I tell listeners a wee bit about that? Yes, um, is it just toys we're doing? I can't, it might be Christmas decorations as well, although I'm not sure we've said that. Yeah, basically we're working with a couple of uh, Glasgow organisations and we're just acting as a drop-off point, encouraging people to bring toys, uh, new toys, um, if they're wrapped, please see, you know, who they're suitable for. Boys age six to ten. Mind you, what's a boy's toy? Yeah, Let's not bit, do we're that. We're getting a bit gendered yeah. here, aren't we? Yeah. Let's just do the age group. Um, so, um, yeah, just drop them off at the office, which is 64 to 66 Reedvale Street. And you can drop them off between 10 and 4, up until I think it's the 9th of December. And we're just behind Belgrove Station. And there was something else I was going to say. I think 
I think we're asking for Christmas decorations as well because, you know, if you've got no money, you certainly can't afford Christmas decorations. But how much do they cheer you up? Seeing twinkly lights and little bits of tinsel and for a wee kid, that'll make such a difference. Yeah, so we'll share that on Parliamental as well. We'll get that out there. So check Anne's, Ivan's, Parliamental's link and we'll, we'll share those links as well. Oh, and can I say one more yeah. thing? So we've got a couple of volunteers in the office, uh, Liam and Duncan. Well, they're not in the office. They tend to do the outreach stuff. Liam and Duncan, they've said if you've got stuff that you want to donate and you can't uh, get to the office um, or you're just too busy to get to the office and you live in Glasgow, they'll come and pick it up from you. So just phone the office on 0141 404-6232 and somebody will come out and collect your donation of toys. Brilliant. And finally, I don't know if anyone's heard this, during the podcast you might have heard a wee noise or two in the back and it's not been Tinkerbell who's been really quiet, she's she's really sinisterly sitting behind me looking at me. That's really good. <laughs> um, your nephew's been here, Anne. Toby and I'm sitting, like, sitting here in his, uh, his Dalek pyjamas. <laughs> so Anne, do you want to tell us about your weekend and why your nephew Toby's here? Yes, right, okay, so I've had a fabulous weekend. I got home on Friday night and an hour later Toby turned up with his mum. He didn't just turn up, they were on their way from Manchester because Toby's mum is, I'm babysitting because where is your mum this weekend? At a vegan festival. And where is it? I don't know. All right, it's in the <laughs> SECC, the vegan <laughs> festival at the SECC in Glasgow. And now she... The reason she's there is because she wrote a book. So do you want to say what the book's called and what the author's called? Maddie Doyle and the Mystery of Herobank Farm by Christine McLaughlin. Maddie Doyle. And uh, it's a great book, actually. It's a kid's book. And it's um, it's about animal welfare and rights, I suppose. But it's it's a fiction fictional book and it's fabulous. I'm on chapter four and I'm loving it. I get back to my flat in Glasgow late at night and I'm like, oh, I'll read another chapter. <laughs> Um, so now what she's doing at the festival is she's on a magic carpet and she's doing a thing. You were telling me about this earlier, Toby. What's the thing she's doing called? Um, a wishing tree. Right. And you did the wishing tree, didn't you? Mm -hmm. And did it work? No. What was your question? What was your wish? I hope that Donald Trump doesn't get elected. And did he get elected? Yeah. And what do you think of that? Uh, bad. <laughs> but that's that, Joe. That's it. There's been a lot of words on that. I think that's that's pretty much all you need to know about it. Bad. So Toby's been staying with uh, me the weekend, and his mum has, and we went to the Royal Mail Sorting Office on Hawthorne Street at eight o'clock on Saturday morning. Now he knew he was coming with me, and then. Um, and he was quite excited. He's been talking about it for two weeks. And then I told him he had to get up at seven and leave at half seven. And you were a bit less impressed with that, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> but was it good? Mm-hmm. Is that all you've got to say on that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we had a really good time, actually. It was funny, we turned up and they said, oh, we didn't know you were coming. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so their head office um, <laughs> had invited us, but maybe hadn't told them mm -hmm. we were coming. But they were fantastic, they were really helpful. And they were talking to us about football and and how the postal system works and everything, weren't they, and how busy they get. So you enjoyed it? Yeah. And then um, we went to Postle Park to switch on well we weren't switching on the lights we were so, watching whoa, 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 tell me about this you switched on the lights <laughs> no I didn't switch on the lights so we went to Puzzle Park because they were having a brass band called Brass Eye and it was a very different type of brass band and they were doing a parade with uh, Christmas lanterns oh. and a parade along Saracen Street to Saracen Cross 
where they switched on the Christmas lights. How much fun was that? A lot. I got a lantern. Got a lantern. I don't think we were supposed to take them home. Oops. (laughs) I'll return to Postle Park one day with them. (laughs) But it was a fantastic atmosphere, Jerry, and it was just like dozens and dozens of families, really happy, kids waving the lanterns. A lot. I got a lantern. And then we sang Christmas carols. What did we sing again? I forgot. I think it was We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Wait, and it was Jingle Bells. Oh, it was Jingle Bells. So standing at Saracen Cross with, you know, dozens and dozens of families from Postle Park singing Jingle Bells, the kids looked so happy and uh, then the Christmas lights were switched on and some of them came on and <laughs> some of them came on a wee bit later, but oh. that's all part of the fun. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we then, that was the half five that finished and at six o'clock we were expecting 15 members of my family to turn up who didn't know Toby was going to be here. That was a wee surprise for them. And we hid Toby in the cupboard, didn't we? And his granny opened the cupboard to put her coat in and she got a lovely surprise. She was so pleased to see him. Um, So yeah, late night uh, party, but it wasn't that late. They left about 11 o'clock, at which point I went to a cocktail party in Golf Hill Drive uh, to to have a bit of fun with some of my neighbours. So I don't know why I'm so chirpy this morning. No, you sound like you should be absolutely shattered. (laughs) I am really, I'm just hiding it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're off to the vegan festival today to sit on the magic carpet with his mum. And then I'm flying off to London again tonight and you're going back to Manchester, yeah? Mm-hmm. Right, have you enjoyed being on the podcast? Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Toby. And that's us at the end of another episode of Parliamental. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter, at Parliamental Pod, on Facebook, search for Parliamental, and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com. Again, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. And I'll return in a fortnight with another episode. Yes, we will. Brilliant. And thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.